0: You went to grad school, you mm-hmm. went to HBS, and little did you know, Patrick, that some off-handed slang mm-hmm. that you throw around would end up becoming a defining moment in your professional journey, because that's where FOMO was birthed. Yes. I know you've shared this story ad nauseum, but could you share it one more time, the genesis of FOMO's birth.
1: I will, and I'll do it happily because I never get sick of it because it is the, I mean, I'm so thankful, right? Like maybe this is gonna be ridiculous, but I'm just gonna say it, which is that I imagine when you have like a singer that had like that great hit in their life and they're like, they sing it for 35, 40 years. I don't think they're sick of singing it because they're like, I love this song because this song gave me everything that I have. I feel that way about FOMO. FOMO, I mean, it didn't give me everything I have, but FOMO really has been like an awesome part. It's made life so fun. I'm so thankful for all of it. So I never get sick of it. I love FOMO. And people ask me that all the time. I'm like, how can I get sick of it? You know, it's not like a it's not like it, it's like I had to eat ice cream every day. You get sick out of ice cream if you ate it for a week, but FOMO no. Essentially what happened is this. I come from a small town in Maine as I mentioned. I'm a, you know, simple guy. I moved to, you know, college, I'm in the library, I studied like more than anybody. I was an animal. I worked in banking. I was at the always working, working, working. And but I saved all this money when I was working those 4 years and I got to business school. And right before when I took my GMAT, I took my GMAT the day before 9/11. And so, and I lived in New York City at the time. Like, so I take the GMAT, I get a great score. I'd never even thought about applying to Harvard, but my score was really high. So I said, I'm going to apply to Harvard and Wharton, and that's it. If I don't get in, I'm not going. I'll figure something out. I got into both, thankfully. I chose Harvard, but you know, I get there, and it's like this amazing place. It's a beautiful campus, amazing classmates. Just, it's just like heaven for somebody like me who's an extrovert and ambitious. I was like, oh my goodness, like. I am in the most amazing place on earth for me. And I want to take advantage of every minute. And I just lived through 9-11. I realized life is so precious and you never know what's going to happen. You got to live for now. And so I tried to do everything. And I was constantly overwhelmed and tired and stressed. And I realized like this wonderful environment in some ways was kind of oppressive and giving me anxiety. Even though I didn't think about it at the time, I think we didn't talk about these kinds of things in the same way. It was more like a joke. But I also realized my classmates were the same. And so I started joking and saying, you know, I remember like on a Friday night one time, I had like five social events. And I tried to make it to all of them. And I think I probably made it to four. But I just started laughing because like anytime you try to plan with people, they would just be like super overscheduled. And so I started saying that people had a fear of missing out and started calling it FOMO. And I wrote an article in the school newspaper that came out on May 10th, 2004 called Social Theory at HBS, McGinnis's Two Foes, all about FOMO and another term called FOBO, or Fear of a Better Option, which is also kind of got some, some fame, not like FOMO does. And that was it. 10 years later, I graduated. I, you know, I moved on my life, but FOMO stayed very popular at Harvard. It got spread out into other places It made into the media. And then in, 10 years later in 2014, it was added to the dictionary. But you weren't even aware that it had become a thing, no, Until years after it was a thing. I mean, that's the crazy part. I was not, I was like working on Wall Street. I was not, didn't even like occur to me. And and then when I got the call from the reporter who wrote an article, uh, this, the, the whole thing that, that happened was and when it came out in the dictionary, a reporter wrote an article about the history of Pomo. He found me and he said, you know, I'm writing about this word you created. And I was like, why? And he was like, it's in the dictionary. And then I had this moment where I knew it was a faded moment because I was literally getting on a train to go to Boston and he was based in Boston and I was going for my 10-year business school reunion and I met him there, he interviewed me and I just was like, this is gonna change my life and it did. I have chills, actually. I have
0: chills, Patrick, because I believe very much and I wanna talk with you about this later, but I believe in magic. Mm. Not saw lady in half magic, but black magic, the shit, whether it was 9-11 or the pandemic that comes into our life out of the blue, and it's awful, or the pixie dust magic. Mm. Because both happen to us throughout our lives, us collectively. And you cannot predict when it's going to happen. You just have to be open to it. I agree. So what lesson do you think there is, Patrick, in your story about how FOMO changed your life for our young listeners who may in fact right now be experiencing FOMO because so many of them are, especially those who are preparing to graduate In the spring, we're doing this interview in sort of the early part of February 2022. They're afraid of so many things, paying off their student debt, whether they'll ever be able to buy a house, whether they're ever going to live a life like you're living, Patrick. And they're afraid they may miss out or make a mistake with respect to the type of job or the type of industry they start out in post-graduation?
1: Oof, there's so much to say here. Uh, let me, I'll start with my new, I came up with a new expression that I've been saying, but I've only said it like one time on another show. So I'm going to give you some, a little hot, spicy, early version of this, which is fear-based decision-making leads to, leads to suboptimal outcomes and incomes. Okay, that's an acronym. Is that or that's the longer
0: version? Oh, okay, because that's like a there, that's a big mouthful there.
1: Yeah, it's, I can't acronym. <laughs> it's it's more like a. It's just a. It's a saying. I think. Okay. Like, okay. Think fear-based decision making results in suboptimal outcomes and incomes. Now, what does that mean? It's pretty obvious, but like if you if you're making decisions out of fear, you're not you're limiting yourself, and you're gonna limit your potential in you know in terms of income and stuff like that, right? So. So, fear, I have no space for fear making decision making because that's what FOMO is. And I spend so much time dealing with that. And I've realized now that, like, basically it's all in your head. Like, you are, you're, it's like you're running on a treadmill and you're using all your energy to go nowhere. And so it's easier said than done. I understand. Like, it's, it's, it's easy to be like, don't do that. Right. Of course, you have to actually work through it. I would also say, this whole experience with the FOMO thing and just like how this all happened, what we just talked about. It, there are two like really valuable lessons in it. I think that I draw from it, and hopefully, you know, others would as well. The first is I wrote that article as a joke. It was in the satire section of the newspaper, and you know, you just never know what's going to happen with something that you create, like creating content or creating things. You don't know what's going to go so like in, in a both positive or negative way like you could write a tweet that 10 years later gets you fired that happens all the time but you could also write an article that becomes a book and a podcast you know and, and and so i would just say recognize that but also be unafraid to share your ideas as long as you do so in a way that's respectful and adding value to the world like i don't i i would be afraid by the way to to write an article that's really mean and critical and potentially offensive because like you see that, like people good for the, they're going for the Supreme Court, and somebody's like, You're a college newspaper, you know, and you're like, Oh my goodness, right? I mean, that's cancel culture stuff, whatever. I'm not gonna get deep into that because that's not the point here today. But at the same time, the FOMO article, I wrote that like it's a sweet article. If you read it, you can find it online if you Google McGinnis FOMO. It's so sweet. And frankly, like I had no idea that it would turn into like the thing, you know, all the things it has. So that was a really valuable lesson. And so when I create content, whether I'm writing books or articles, like I always try to create something that is respectful and tries to be positive and add value that aligns with my values so that like I don't have to worry about oh, 10 years down the line, people are going to be like, what a jerk. You know, don't want that. I mean, it could happen, but let's hope that. The yeah. second thing is, when that happened with the FOMO thing, I knew it. Like I knew it in my bones this was going to be important. And so I made a real I went to I was going to Boston. I made time to meet this reporter. I lined up friends of mine. He could also interview. I just knew. And in fact, we did the interview and it took like six weeks to come out. And when it came out, I thought I'd be like one paragraph. So I really just thought it'd be funny and fun to have as like a light thing. It ended up being the entire article. It went viral. That's how I got my first book deal out of that article. So I, I didn't know it'd be that important, but I knew it was important and special and that it was something that I needed to focus on. So Like, there's a famous quote from that show, The Good Wife, which I love that show. I'm going to, I'll admit it. And Alicia Floreg's boss, Diane uh, Lockhart, says to her, you know, if somebody opens a door for you, you have to run through it. And I saw that door open and I was ready. And that's really important too.
0: I almost feel like this is a call to action, Patrick, to live in the moment. Mm. Because sometimes the clues or the breadcrumbs of your future success are right in front of you. And that fear of missing out, that like not living in the present moment, living in the future is going to ruin it. It has the potential to ruin it. If you hadn't written about FOMO, (laughs) it could have ruined it for you. I mean, I'm not saying you wouldn't still have had a successful career, but a
1: different career. You're right. And I would say also what I've learned because I did so much research is that actually like from a physiological neurological perspective, FOMO is really dangerous because what you're doing is you're spending so much time disconnected from reality that your ability to parse reality from fiction becomes weaker. Right. And so like, that's why living, I mean, it's, you know, why people talk about being present or mindfulness, like all that stuff. Like it sounds so frou-frou. It's not, it's like, it's kind of like, it's like neurologically healthy behavior. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini
0: episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of t for c And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for for coffee website under the coaching tab at time the number 4 coffee.org or text me at 202 that's 202 236 5712